Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. All leaders need to find ways to create greater leverage. And I think that's true whether you're at the top of the organization, the middle of the organization, or the bottom part of the organization. And about the only way to create leverage is by delegating more effectively. Now, that is not news, I'm assuming, to everybody who is listening. But yet, every single leader I talk to struggles to delegate effectively and consistently. So what we want to talk about today is what does it take and how do you get better at delegating? That's going to be our sole focus for the next session. So my guest today is Bill Ringel. Bill works with senior managers who want to lead high-performance teams in high-tech companies across North America. He led worldwide training programs at Apple, and today his mission is to help overwhelmed managers become admired leaders who can grow and scale companies by mastering focus, integrity, delegation, and systems. Um, he's a chair of an angel investment group and has worked with over 200 founders of SaaS, energy, and IT companies, all securing more than $200 million in funding. And he is the host and executive producer of his own podcast, My Quest for the Best, which is um, a podcast for ambitious small business leaders. And if that's not enough, he's the author of multiple books, dozens of online and hybrid programs to help people, leaders, managers be more effective in their day-to-day work. His upcoming book or his latest book is Grow Business Now. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Great to be here with you, Wanda. It's a pleasure. I am. Can I bet everybody is hanging on bated breath to say, "How do I delegate? How to delegate?" Because that's what everybody wants to hear. But before I get there, why does this topic matter to you? It matters to me because, like you said in the introduction, the only way companies can grow is by people getting better at delegating, finding ways to leverage their skills and talents, and delegation is important. It's a crucial central part of that. It's important to me personally because it's the only way I've grown my business, and it's the only way that I've seen dozens and dozens of other companies grow is when they take this seriously. And let me give you a third reason. If you are listening to this and thinking, well, delegation's important, but I've got too many other priorities right now, understand that this is what senior managers look at in, in order to determine whether someone is promotable. Can they do well and effectively make use of the resources that they have now before they're promoted and given more responsibility, authority, and accountability? Right. I always say to people, Bill, that if you um, are the only one that can do the job that you're currently doing, then you are absolutely unpromotable because why would we ever take you out of that job? And if you can't get other people doing more of it, you can't grow your capability either. There's no way. And and on a more practical note, if you're the only one who could do an important part of the job or responsibility within a company, you can never get sick or take a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. 
Well, I think we always think we're the only one. And yes, somebody might not do it as well, but somebody else will come in and do it. I can almost always guarantee, especially in a large company. Small company, maybe not so. All right. So everybody hears all the time that they need to delegate more. I mean, that's probably 90% of mid-year performance reviews or year-end performance reviews. Delegate, delegate, delegate. Why is this so hard? Because everyone I speak to struggles with it. Well, let me share with you my perspective. It's not that it's hard to delegate. It's hard to do well. <laughs> we have examples day in and day out of people saying, just do this. Or one of the most common instances of delegation is everybody gets excited when there's a new hire because in an undisciplined company, it means that everyone who's in that department or division is looking to get all of the junk stuff on their plate and dump it on a new person. And they think that's delegation. It doesn't create a stronger company when you do that. So let me share with you a definition that if you think about delegation through these three criteria, it helps you enormously figure out what steps you need to do to become better at delegation. Are you ready? Yeah, ready. So delegation is an act you do when you want to accomplish three things. One, you want to accomplish more, more than you could on your own. Secondly, you want to involve other people. And third, you want to build bench strength within the organization. You have to have the intention of building bench strength because then you approach it a whole different way. You say, well, I can't just fire off an email or send something on Slack and say, I want you to take on this large project. If it's an important aspect and you think about how, how is this going to add bench strength to the company a month or two months from now, you are willing and you see the argument in favor of putting in time to adequately define what it is you're delegating. You need to put together and go through a checklist of items uh, in order to say that I've clearly defined what I want to accomplish. I know who it is that I can do this even if it's a stretch, they need to adopt and maybe learn some new skills or capabilities. And then how do we kick it off? We have a meeting and we have certain conversations and agreements that are made so that we understand that I'm not only delegating responsibility for the task, but perhaps authority to bring in other people in the company, to spend money, to do things like that. So it's those three things that come together that automatically elevate the level of delegation within an organization. Right. I find um, it, to one of those criteria that your intention is to build bench strength, that many people sit on the fence about delegating because frequently the thing they're delegating is in their area of expertise. It's something they know incredibly well. It's something their reputation is built on being the expert in. And they want to have help, but they don't want to give up at the same time. Like they don't want to develop somebody who's got greater expertise. So not, not many people will say that out loud, but I think that's part of what goes wrong is that you don't really want to develop the same kind of strength that you could. Absolutely. And I've seen this time and time again, even as far back as when I worked at Apple. And I remember talking with engineers at Apple who understood how to make something work, existing software. There were some backdoors to it. And they shared with me how it worked. And they said, well, I don't want you to teach others to do this. And my job was to hold briefings and help people get more results. And they were sharing with me valuable troubleshooting tips, none of which are relevant now. Otherwise, I'd share them. <laughs> right. um, 
And the idea, the, the, the understanding that I gained from that was, is they derived a sense of power and authority by being the only ones who knew this. This was the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. And what enables people to let go of that is realizing that there's a much bigger picture. That one of the things that happened at Apple, and I'm sure it happened to a lot of companies, is that you're going to have new versions of products. You're going to want to move from one product team to another. You're going to want to take on more responsibility and not just lead you know, a certain segment of engineering, but maybe engineering and quality assurance and customer support. In order to have that, you need to have other people to fill those seats so that you could move up. Right. Well, managers always say you have to develop your successor. Okay. And often people think, okay, fine. I've got to define and identify this person to develop my successor. And, you know, yeah, that leaves you, if you're thinking about the intention of building the bench strength, that certainly leaves you more capability within the organization and makes it easier for you to take a larger job. At the same time, it's a lame reason for a manager to say, I can't promote you because you haven't developed a successor. I mean, seriously. Anyway, we won't go down that rabbit hole because I think there's a whole bunch of problems in it. So let me just validate from my experience as well, Wanda. The, the, The phrase develop your successor lands flat because people think they're going to be fired or people think they're going to die if they're developing a successor. Yeah. The only people who get excited about developing a successor are owners who are developing successors so they could sell the company and then retire to an island. Yeah, right, right. Well, I think the manager is just using it as an excuse because nine times out of 10, if we take you out of that job and put you into something else, we're going to reorganize or restructure or go outside or use that as a development opportunity for somebody nobody had thought about. So, you know, getting held hostage by having to develop your uh, successor, I think, is a bad idea. Delegating, however, and growing bench strength is a really good one. So three criteria, accomplish more, I want to involve others, and I want to build the bench strength. So why is it so hard to do? Those sound perfectly logical. Because it requires different skills than just doing it yourself. And here's another principle that I'm going to bring into play here. The people who advance in organization and help an organization become more effective and nimble are those who realize and practice that getting things done is only part of the job. You also have to communicate the status of what you're getting done. And as soon as you do that, I've seen this time and time again, people get more excited to work with you. They want to be on your teams. They want to be able to be successful and see things done because you're taking on that added component of being effective and being responsible within your organization of not just accomplishing things, but communicating the status. Hey, we just made progress here. We just reached this milestone. And you want to be part of a team that does that. And when you can do that, I've seen this with many, many managers who wanted to take on more responsibility and maybe become a director. There was a a director who wanted to become a senior director that I, I worked with and he was working at a chemical company not far from here in Philadelphia. And he was thinking about how to get more visibility in his role, especially during COVID when people were working remotely. And I said, well, walk me through one of the current things that you're doing that's not part of your core responsibility, but that was given to you as a stretch goal. And as he was doing that, he would say, well, I've accomplished these major milestones and now I'm not working on this one. And I said, well, wait a second. 
how, have you told people about accomplishing these milestones? These are really significant. These are the things that managers look at and say, wow, we're making progress on this, this project. And he hadn't thought of that at all. He thought, well, no, I've got to let them know when it's done. Nobody wants to know when things are partly completed. And that's not true. So let's just burst that myth right here, Wanda. People want to know as you're making progress, not just when you get it done. Right. I agree with that. I think as human beings, we don't remember the big thing, like the big push. I solved it. What we remember is the drip feed, the steady, you know, we had some progress on this one. Oh, there's a setback. Oh, we had more progress. Oh, we've made an accomplishment on this one. That steady drip feed is what is human beings where leave the impression, oh, things are moving forward. The one and done, like, look, I solved it. It just doesn't, it didn't stick in the brain. So there are three other advantages to doing that I'll share with you and, okay. and everyone who's on now. And that is when you share your progress, you elevate your position in the eyes of others as someone who is willing to keep people updated because you share your progress even when you get stuck or you're about to miss a, a milestone or deadline. And people get really freaked out when they hear that. What, I'm going to tell people that we're going to be delayed because we encountered a problem? Yes. And it's better to do that before you reach the deadline because it raises people's perception of you that you're trustworthy because you're willing to share not just good news, yay, we made it, but also right. the bad news, hey, we encountered some difficulties because smart leaders recognize that there are going to be lessons learned in that set of difficulties and challenges that you overcome. So they're paying more attention. And then the third reason, the third benefit of communicating your progress as you proceed in a, a project mm -hmm. is that it's easier to ask for help. If you have you know, a 12-week project and you've communicated for four or five weeks in a row and week six, you say, you know what? In order to make the week eight deadline, I could see by the rate of progress we're making now, I'm going to need two other resources, at least part-time. Right. And, and because you've been keeping people up to date, there's no surprise. You've developed a sense of confidence and reliability with the regular re um, repetition and reporting that you've been doing. They're much more likely to listen to your request and grant it because you're someone who's communicating it. I understand now why you need it because you've pulled it off all to this place, all to each time to this step, but now you can't continue. It's a lot more credible in other words. So anybody listening who wants to know how to raise your visibility, that's about the best advice I've ever heard on how to raise your visibility is communicating the status updates, good and not so good. I would also add, Bill, when you're communicating about things that have gone wrong, you're showcasing your ability to work through difficult situations, your trustworthiness in telling the truth, but also your ability to think through it, analyze it, find a solution. I mean, if you didn't have any problems, you didn't have a difficult challenge. Right. So, okay. Well said. Right. All right. Let's go back to this notion of delegating. Um, one of the things that I see from people all the time is they say, I can do it better or faster myself. What's your response to that? Perhaps <laughs> now that's true. However, you're showing that you want to be an individual contributor and that there are a couple negatives that come up when you make that statement that only I can do this or no one else could do this but me. You're saying, 
you don't have the, implicit in that is you don't have the ability to teach someone because anything that's hard or complex, you didn't learn how to do that. I mean, you weren't born knowing how to do that. You had to learn how to do that. So if you can't communicate that to others, that means that we've got to put extra resources in to understand the issue and we're going to end up communicating it anyway. You've just shown that you're not a one plus one equals three team player. Because if you add someone to your team and you're working together and you're not making it a one plus one equals three or better relationship, then people are going to be much less likely to give you resources in the future or ask you to do difficult things in the future. And every company needs to be able to operate processes and have accomplishments um, be performed by multiple people. Because as we said earlier, everyone might need personal time off or go on vacation or get promoted. So there are three reasons why you want to be able to let other people do your work. You don't want to hoard that knowledge. And you want to be someone who teaches and communicates. We're solving something difficult. I know how to get to this part. And we're going to need some time to figure out this other part because I haven't done it before. No one knows how to do it. We're figuring out a new solution. That's incredibly valuable and interesting to those who are higher up in an organization. All right. So I'm showcasing my capability. I'm showcasing my team player qualities and that I can take two resources and make more out of it than just two individuals. I'm showcasing my ability to learn, develop new solutions, work through problems. I'm showcasing my trustworthiness. And all of this I get, and I'm showcasing the fact that I can develop talent. All of this I get by just having whatever I'm doing, a status update on a regular basis, people, and then people want to work for me too, because they say, ah, interesting, doing something relevant, making progress. I want to be part of that team. Absolutely. All right. So Bill, let me turn to the $64,000 question to steal an old phrase. How do we get better at delegating? What's required? You said intentionality in the beginning. So I have three criteria. I want to accomplish more. I want to evolve others. And I want to build bench strength. So how do I get better then? Okay. So many companies have processes and ways of doing things. And what I want to offer you and everyone who's listening in and learning from us is that there are structures you could apply that are helpful and help you develop these skills faster. Okay. I was, I was at a mastermind and at a lunch one time. And this was a mastermind for people who were running businesses that were in the six figures mm-hmm. per month. We were, we were looking to help each other grow. And I was sitting down next to somebody named Pamela, and she was saying how her marketing agency was at capacity. And when I hear people say things like that, I just show friendly interest and see if they want to engage. <laughs> so I said to Pamela, I said, what would happen if you had 20% more clients come in next week? something that you learned here, started bringing in a lot more clients. What would you do? And she said, her first response was, my head would blow up. And I said, that's probably not the kind of response you want because that's a good signal that your business is ready to grow. I said, tell me about that. And she started saying how, you know, she's at capacity. She has to check on every one of her project managers. And to make a long story short, I started working with her and saying, walk me through what your process is. And everything was done in a hub and spoke manner. She Mm -hmm. would tell someone to do something, they would come back to her. She would tell someone else to take the next step, it would come back to her. And I said, let me share with you a framework the way that I do it and see if that could help you. And she said, sure. So I sketched out 
on literally on the back of a napkin at lunch, <laughs> a really simple framework. And it's, it starts with just having four columns. And the first column is planning. The second column is doing. The third column is checking. And the fourth column is done. Sounds pretty straightforward. Okay. Yep. But we're going to go into two dimensions now. So we have, let's just put a little post-it note and say, Wanda, you're going to um, ask to delegate a task and you're going to describe it on this note. And you're going to give all the details and you're going to say, um, you're going to say to Larry or, or to, you know, Mark, um, you want to delegate this task to Mark, someone on your team. And Mark looks at the note that you've posted on the board and sees that sees the, his name is on there and says, oh, Wanda, I, I would love to do this. This is right on my skill set. Um, you've said when you need it by. And then Mark says, make sure that he has access to everything, all of the, the digital resources saying, and then says, I'm going to get started on this and I'm going to be able to get this to you by your due date next Friday. Okay. And he starts to work on it and he signals that he's working on it by moving it from the planning column to the doing column. So as you okay. walk by the board, you can see that his post-it note with his uh, assignment on there is now being done. That's great. You feel, how do you feel? You see that the work that you've offered to delegate has been accepted and is being worked on. Okay. So you, you feel encouraged and excited about that, right? And then when Mark finishes, he then has a choice. He may know that the project takes six hours to do. He may work on it for two hours during that first initial portion. And then he has a choice to whether to move it to the left or to the right. And if he moves it to the left, he's saying, Wanda, I've made some progress on this and I'm moving it back to planning because I plan to work on it further. If he moves it to checking, he says, Wanda, I've reached a milestone and I'd like your feedback on this. So okay. right there, we've covered two important aspects of being able to scale. You've built in implicit feedback loops. And the first one was when you put it in planning rather than doing. Mm -hmm. The huge mistake that people make is that they just are working in some sort of project management tool which is really a bad name for the tool because most people don't define projects in these tools. And I'm talking about, you know, Basecamp, Trello, Asana, you name it. There are dozens and dozens of them out there. You have to put something in a planning mode and make sure someone has a chance to review it and accept the responsibility and constraints. And that builds trust in an organization. And you've got to define when you need it by, what the assets are, does he have permission? Does he have the skill sets needed? What other authority does he have to bring in more resources or spend money? You've done that. You've defined it beautifully. Then Mark has done a second step, which makes a huge difference. And the huge difference is, is that he has said to you, I am working on it and I'm still not ready to ask for your feedback on a milestone. So he's not going to waste your time if he hasn't reached a milestone where you could give significant and meaningful feedback. He's moved it back to planning. Or if, when he does reach it, maybe after the second work section, he's put in four hours. Now he says, Wanda, I've got a partial work product here, and I'd love for your feedback at this point to let me know where I'm on the right track and maybe to give some course correction. Okay. You get that? I get that. So what we have is Mark, the person that this task has been delegated to, constantly keeping the leader updated with whether there's more work to be done 
I'm executing what we've already kind of agreed to, or I'm ready for checking mode. Now, problem with that, especially in virtual environment, is that way too many people don't keep the updates straight. So how do you make sure that people are constantly saying, here's where I got to today? Because that's what you're saying, is they're letting mm -hmm. you know where they got to today. So this becomes, let's just keep it simple with just two people on the, the project board. Um, when you make an assignment, you make it implicit. This isn't the first time you're working together and you say, make sure you just update and give me a status update when you begin the task and when you complete it. So here's a very trivial example. Say that there are um, 2,000 rows of information in a spreadsheet, and you're looking for updates or validations on certain rows, and you're not doing it with a formula. You need to look at it um, physically. Very great, you know, great task to um, delegate. It's important work that needs to be done. When Mark moves that task over into doing, he says, I'm now beginning on row 65. When he moves it back to planning, he says, I've reached row 1,050. And you could see, okay, in that two hours, he accomplished that much work. And you know that that's on pace. Mm -hmm. If he had only accomplished five rows, as soon as you saw that, you might check in and say, Mark, how come you only got to five rows in two hours? Is there something that you're misunderstanding? Are you doing more work than I asked for? It, it gives you a, a good status update as to whether they're fulfilling the work in the time that you've budgeted for it. And that way nothing gets away from either of you. Right, right. But this all presumes that as a manager, I kind of know what's needed, how much time it takes, what kind of problems people are gonna run into. I've got very clear boundaries on what acceptable looks like, budget, timeline, et cetera. I had to know that task pretty much inside out in order to follow this kind of model. What if I don't know the task so well? Yeah. So first of all, I'm gonna say that tasks are very um, simple. They're very straightforward, sort of like with the spreadsheet. Go ahead, validate these rows. I like to talk about assignments, which are more complex. They involve right. multiple tasks, multiple skill sets, and they go to a larger degree. And it's kind of an assignment is between a task and a project. And you may know certain components of what it takes to complete an assignment. And there may be some things you don't know. <laughs> say, say you ask Mark to not just validate some things visually, but to also write a macro so that it could be done automatically. And Mark may say, I've got the first three of 12 columns working great in the macro. And you say, great. What's, uh, what's the challenge with the next one? He says, well, I need to look up some formulas and do some testing because there are three cases that I wasn't prepared for because the data is still in a messy format. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you know what's going on, you know where the research time is going, and you know that it's going to be stronger as a result of that investment of time. But you know pretty well what it's going to take to get from A to, to Z. And there may be some unknowns along the way, but you've got the rough, rough idea of where it's going and you've broken it down to the steps. Okay. All right. And this would presume, of course, as a manager that I have time to do all the follow-ups, the check-ins, the, geez, that took longer than I thought it would. What's going on here? That means I have to have some capacity in my calendar to do that check-in. Yeah? Absolutely. So let me, um, let me share with you. First of all, it's very easy and worthwhile to go through the exercise of convincing a manager 
that this takes less time in the long run as you are involving other people, getting more done and building bench strength. Okay. And you, you definitely do spend time in advance breaking the problem down into phases and maybe having a kickoff meeting with an assignment or project. Tasks mm-hmm. you could pretty much delegate. Make a phone call, find out comparison data, book a flight. Those are tasks. Assignments and projects are more complex. So you might have a kickoff meeting to go over that with the person or team you're delegating to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you convince people that this is going to take less time in the long run? So you have to run an experiment. And yeah. I would structure it and say, look, if you were to do this, or maybe you haven't done it before, measure how much time it takes. And I, I would say, let's just run through a quick example. In the example that I'm working through with you now, it's based on work that a team did that I was coaching. And they were looking at data that was coming in from the sales and marketing team and they were putting it into a big CRM. And what was happening is it was taking a lot of um, talent hours. I'm trying to use the gender neutral term, the talent hours (laughs) um, in order to do this. And I was saying, and here's another little nugget I'm going to share with you. There are things that ought to be delegated. And then there are things that ought to be eliminated. You ought to not be doing certain things. So elimination, delegation, and automation are the three parts that really help make your job more effective. And you may know from past experience that this is a job that just isn't suited to a lot of people. It takes longer than others. Um, So you need to estimate that and then see that. And then we can build a case as to why delegating and automating is going to help you. Right. And that's how it worked with that. So you have to build some data and, and build some reference points in in order to build that case. It's pretty easily done. You just need to spend some time doing it. And you have to take time out of your work so that you're not just always doing the work, but you're also looking at the work to see if it makes sense to do the work. So for instance, there are some things that were taking longer because they never communicated to the sales team how important it was to tag the events that were uh, the source of the leads coming in. So we sat and had a meeting we said, all right, where are the possible sources? How does this build into the, the different automations that are taking place? And you just say, it's, it's mandatory. Before you share data or you build a form that's going to collect data or you have an event or you even bring back business cards because that's going to happen again. We're going to come back to bringing in business cards. You have to make sure you tag the source of the event. So you eliminate that aspect of the work of having to go back and have these follow-up meetings because that's just plain you know, irresponsible and ineffective. Okay. So I've got it. What you're saying is as a manager to get this one plus one equals three formula, I have to do less so that I have time to evaluate and think about the work that's being done. And my tools are delegate, eliminate, automate. Yes. And that's how I get one plus one equals three. Okay. And let me share with you another little tip. A lot of times managers just are always very reactive initially. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do is I say, put a two-hour block on your calendar that's a meeting with yourself to simply reflect on your week and ask, answer some questions like, what is it that am I doing that doesn't need to be done? What is it that I'm doing that is taking me longer? And there are people who have better skill sets in this area and better interest in doing these problems than I do. And you go through these questions, you reflect on it. If you're not reflecting, you're not doing your job as a manager. You've got to look to always build those one plus one equals three relationships within your team and within the organization. 
Okay. That's, it makes a ton of sense to me. I know a lot of people listening to us say, I wish my manager would figure out how to eliminate in particular. All right. So Bill, this is a perfect place to take a break. I think Um, with me today is Bill Ringel. The Bill's most recent book is Grow Business Now. And as you've heard, he has worked with managers in high-tech companies across North America, in particular at Apple, and also with lots of startup companies, particularly in the tech world. The two takeaways from this are thinking about how to get your team to systematically give status updates of where they are in any given day. Are they still planning the work? Are they actually doing the work? Do they need your feedback on the work or is the work completely done? And I have that by tasks. I have that by larger buckets of tasks. We call it assignments and I have long-term things that we would call projects. So I do that and I want to build in time as a manager to make sure that I am spending time evaluating how the work is being done. Where do I need to delegate? Where do I need to eliminate? Where do I need to automate? That those are the ways in which I'm going to go about building one plus one equals three or four or five, as the case may be. All right, Bill, perfect time for break. When we come back, I want to talk some more about some different models about delegation and a couple of myths on delegation. We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Bill Ringel. We have been talking about delegation, that lovely thing of how do you take the resources that are around you, whether they report directly to you or they're just helping you, 
and take two resources and make more than one plus one equals two out of them. So one plus one equals three. And delegation, elimination, automation. I'm going to keep quoting you on that one, Bill. I love it. So I forgot to say in this last wrap up that Bill also has a wonderful podcast, My Quest for the Best, particularly targeted for small business leaders and particularly, I think, in the tech space. All right, Bill, we were talking about your model where you get out of the hub and spoke as a leader, where everything comes into you as the hub and back out to somebody else, and you become the roadblock for progress. And that instead, you have, you describe it as a board. It could be any number of physical or virtual ways where someone has a task, the parameters on that task, like the budget, the time frame, the resources, the whatever are there on that task. And we have columns, plan, do, check, and done. And the individual that has been assigned to that task basically moves their status over a period of time from one column to another column. Like think about a marker that would be in an office that you would literally move around. Again, it could be virtual or it could be otherwise. As a manager, I'm looking back at that and saying, "Mm, that sounds about right. That's about what I expect somebody to do in that length of time. Or "Mm, that went a lot faster than I thought it was. It would go, let me check that we've seen what I wanted to see. Or it's going too slowly. Let me figure out what's happening. So I've got ways of checking in along the way. And I know what the status is when my boss calls and says, Wanda, where are we? You know, we're at line 599 and we will have it done on time. Um, And then the error checking, the feedback comes when my assignee comes and says, I am now ready for checks. Okay. Now, one of the things, so that's that's your model. And I'm going to now do my model which is slightly different, but they actually fit very nicely together. I agree with you that you have to start with some, what I often call as guardrails, like, uh, you know, what's the goal we're trying to achieve and what are the guardrails? Timing, who needs to be involved, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think you have to get the individual to break it into milestones. And I think you do this by asking questions rather than telling Because when I will say I'm delegating to you, Bill, and I say, I want you to do this particular task, like drafting this um, document, and I'll say, what do you think are the milestones that you need to achieve in order to have this ready by the deadline? And you forget that we need to check with another department. Rather than telling you, which will embarrass you and make you feel less competent, I could say, well, what about this other department? When would we get them involved? So I like the notion that you use questioning rather than telling. And what strikes me about your model, and oh, and when you do questioning, that I have a natural touch point for the milestones. I can say, get to this point, and then let's touch base. So it strikes me, though, that my questioning technique fits very nicely in your plan, do, check, done columns. So what's your reaction? I completely agree. And here's the dimension that people can use to think about this more effectively, is that when you have a new relationship, you want to have um, a range of conversation. The range might be, I'm going to tell you how I want it to be done so I could see whether you follow that structure and we build trust in our working relationship together. And then over time, as we get to know each other and see what each other's capabilities are, then you could have more of what you described 
as a, a Socratic or developmental conversation mm-hmm. where you're asking them to think it through. And again, you're building bench capacity <laughs> as you have those conversations because you're helping them think through things at an elevated level. You're helping them not just become an individual contributor, but you're teaching them the way that managers think about timelines, about budget, about resources. So that's absolutely the case. And I didn't want to introduce that too early. I'd rather just get the basics down. Yet, this is, this is exactly where we're going. The more that you do this, the more that you could say, here's what I need done. Here's what I need it done by. Why don't you establish what the milestones will be? And I'll check and make sure that's good. We'll have a little kickoff meeting. We'll negotiate those terms. And the more idea that you have about what that person's capabilities are, the more control you give them over setting those parameters, milestones, and checkpoints. Right. Okay. We're on the same page then, at least. Um, One of the things that I think a lot of managers are struggling with, because frequently you're delegating to a Gen Z or a millennial, so a younger generation. And I see an awful lot of managers struggle with how do I relate to this generation? How do I work with them? And I don't want to go down the generation thing. I just want to make a point about this in terms of delegating. One of the insights I've had recently from a podcast, uh, um, one of my podcasts, is that millennials and Gen Zs expect to be engaged. They don't expect to be told. They don't even expect to be suggested to, unlike baby boomers and Gen X. Millennials and Gen Z expect to be engaged, which means when I present a task, they want to talk about it. They want to negotiate. They want to debate. And I think as a manager, particularly if you're working with a younger generation, if you create room for that debate in the assignment, you're going to get more commitment, more buy-in, more productivity, ultimately. Thoughts? That is what I call the alignment conversation. And the alignment conversation is exactly what you described. You say, Say, um, Bruce, Bruce, let's have a conversation about how this um, assignment can go. I'd like to, you to know that I picked you especially for this because I think that you have a lot of potential to develop your analytical abilities, and here's an opportunity to do so. So you frame it from the benefit of them. And, and again, Gen Z and um, um, millennials love to develop skills and add tools to their toolkit and also experiences that they can then reference to yep. others in other departments, careers, or companies. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, I've selected, here's why I selected you, which is part of the introductory or kickoff meeting. And you let them know, you, you give that thought and you share with them very explicitly because you're making that evaluation anyway. This isn't something that you're adding. It's not something that you're building artificially, but you're making time and taking the, the effort in order to make it explicit and add that emotional support in the conversation because that'll just make it go so much smoother. And they now are looking to do their best in order to come back and say, look, I knocked it out of the park for you. What else you got? Mm-hmm. Great. All right. So in the, I want to talk more about this alignment conversation. So this is a kickoff meeting that you've described and that you said, you know, make it clear why you've chosen this person and what the development opportunity for them is, what skill or tool experience they're going to get. What else goes into that alignment conversation? Uh, obviously, the goal and the timeline. Mm-hmm. And 
alignment conversations become increasingly more important the more people you have that you're assigning an assignment or project to. Mm -hmm. So alignment between different areas of responsibility and accountability. So it's not just getting the work done, but it's also saying, here's how I'm going to get the work done and what resources I need to be successful with that. So I may delegate to someone, let me just say Megan, and Megan not only is responsible for doing her part and contributing to it, but she now has two other people who she's going to involve. And I want to talk with her about her estimate to make sure that my estimate mm-hmm. of how much time it's going to take her to do it and to give that to others is going to be on track. So let's say that she's developing some, she's customizing a library to, or an API in order to do some engineering coding on a project. She says, well, I want to bring in two other people because they have experience that could make that go faster. They've worked with you know, Google's uh, or Amazon's APIs before, and they're familiar with that. I say, great. Let's talk about time estimates and how long that would take and how it's going to help you meet those guidelines. You just talk the whole thing out. And here's my favorite model for thinking about that. Wanda, it's thinking about um, movies and how they just set up the frames of where they want to be at certain points so that they could plan where to do certain shots and scenes in the movie. So you kind of walk through the whole movie together and you see it have a happy ending and you're going to become better at delegating the more you could create those happy endings. And everyone who's part of making that movie is saying, yes, oh, this is great. I could see the vision of how my scene is going to make that movie successful, whether it's resolving a conflict or building drama or making a special effect happen. If you talk about it in those terms, it becomes easier to imagine how everyone's going to contribute into making that event or that assignment successful. Right. Um it's interesting because I really do think that a lot of these tasks, we need to be talking much more in, I use the language milestones, but I like this framework of movies. Like, what are we going to be looking at at this scene? And where do we want to shoot this scene? And where do we want this to happen? And so on and so on. I think that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of a way to work. And I like this notion of bringing everybody together so they all hear it. It strikes me, though, you've added something to the discussion, Bill, that I have seen very few managers do, and it's a bit of borrowing from technology. So if I'm in a software engineering or an engineering component of a business, I have to be very conscious of the hours I have available to do anything. And there's way more requests than we have hours, and that is budget for internal clients. And so I have to give an estimate that this will be five hours and kind of budget accordingly, that'll be five hours. And what I find we don't do outside of technology is think enough about what's the estimates of the amount of time it will take to do this and plan accordingly. So I get that that's a technology component, but boy, would that make a difference if you translate it into any project. Let me give you a couple terms that will be really helpful for listening to this. Even if you, and, and again, we're saying technology companies, but everyone's using technology now. Everyone who is listening to this is using laptops and phone lines and internet access to share files, as well as to have video conferences. (coughs) And what you want to do is you want to just think in terms of time blocks. Mm -hmm. So what I say is maybe you pick one hour or two hours as your standard unit of time block. And you say, how many blocks is it going to take? Is this, let's say, let's just be really clear. This is just going to be a a one hour block. You think this is a 
a four block assignment right. or you think it's going to be a 12 block assignment. We could make that assignment. We could make that assessment and estimate together. Yeah. And then people are saying, oh, okay, I'm expected to do this. He's, you know, the person assigning it, I'm assigning it. I'm not saying when to do it, just do it by Friday at 10 a.m. Yeah. And then you could pick what, when to use those blocks during the week that's based on your schedule and your workflow. Right. Does that help? Because it's, this is, you know, take it from a perspective sure. of not a technology company, just thinking about it as time blocks. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I think we fail to do as managers and leaders is to help people think about how much time is enough time to give on a task. Ah, so and we, let me share with you a, a story that you just reminded me of. One of the best things that ever came to Apple, um, best people that ever came to Apple, was a vice president of software engineering who came while I was there. And I think her first name was Ellen, and her last name was Hancock. And what she said is, Apple was notorious for slipping deadlines because people got excited about building in one more new feature, and it just made the the scope creep as to when things would get done. And here's what she said. It just struck me as I was listening to it. She said, in the past, we've been a company that moved deadlines in order to accommodate features, and now... We're a company starting today that will make our deadlines and features will either fit or be postponed to the next release. So what she said was, we're going to have the discipline and you're going to get the work done within the time assigned to it or allocated for it, or it's just not going to make it into this release. Get it the next version that comes around. I think every company can look at and say, how does that apply to the work that we have to do. Is it going to be something that we move the delivery later? Or is it going to be something like, that's like client sensitive? Internal projects, you can move the delivery date easier. But if it's a client deliverable, you may say, it's got to be this way because we're delivering and showcasing it on Thursday at 3 p.m. Right, right. I, there's so many of the things that we do in corporations have iterations, all right? So even if it's going to a client, it's probably not going to be the final, final, final in the first presentation. There's probably a midterm where you get some reaction to and you can preview what is coming next. I mean, there's all sorts of reviews. And we don't give enough credit for what needs to be at this moment in this deadline and what feature comes in the next iteration. We also don't give enough credit of how much is this feature, this component worth in terms of person hours. You know, is it worth... 15 units, or is it really only worth five units? And then manage accordingly, because that helps drive my focus, that helps drive my quality attentions, it helps a whole bunch of stuff. And I think we could do a much better job if we focus on time blocks, as well as the iterations, the releases. It's a really good language. I like it a lot. Okay. All right, Bill, what other things do we get wrong when we think about delegation? Like, what are some of myths that we should just bust? So one is that one that we talked about earlier, that if it's going to be done right, I've got to be the one to do it myself. And we, I want to bust that again, just by showing that if you're doing that, you're limiting both yourself and the organization. So put that one aside. 
it's like a, a, a coat that you used to, to wear, a winter coat that you used to wear when you were in eighth grade. It no longer fits you. <laughs> so just let that go and move on to more adult clothing and adult <laughs> positions in the way that you handle responsibilities. Okay. Another one is that, let me just recap because you've done so well in bringing these issues up already. Another one that's very common is that if I give away how I do a process or procedure, I won't have the same standing as an authority. And I'm going to turn that around and say, the more that you empower others to understand what the product is, understand how to work your process effectively, the more freedom you have to elevate in an organization. So that's the second one. And a third one, a third myth that a lot of people have about delegation is that it, it'll take more time to accomplish if I'm involving other people than if I just do it myself. So it's really in the interest of the company if I do it myself, and that's not at all true. Again, let's go back to the definition of delegation. When you're doing delegation effectively, you're getting more done than if you would do it on your own. You're involving other people, and you're also building bench strength. Let me talk about that second one because it's so important these days as we're in a position where we're meeting more in person, we're coming back from just meeting virtually. One of the things that's hampering a lot of organizations now is that leaders are saying, we've just got to get back together because we're lacking a lot of that they call the human component. And the reason I say this is because I think there's so many better terms. <laughs> and here's the term that I prefer to just that human connection or human component of working together. It's the emotional connection that we have. And what's happened for so many months and the past two years is that we've lost the emotional connection we have with each other because we're not using all of the ways that we have to communicate that are available to us. So let me take one further step back before we hit this. And that is we've been working remotely for decades. Everyone who works in a company that has multiple offices is not working face-to-face -face with people all the time. We've had telephone, we've had video conferences for decades. So first of all, let's just wipe away the notion that this is so new and, and unique. We've been doing it already. Secondly, we can make connections with each other. We just have to be able to use our, face, <laughs> our facial expressions and tonality more effectively. Because right now there's this flatness of everyone kind of withdrawing and people not being able to say, way to go. Not being able to say, oh, I'm so glad you came through for us. People not using that wide range that we have and right. even saying, oh, that's really going to put us in a hard spot. This right. has to get done. I want us to pull in two other people onto this call right now so this gets done. Right. If we're afraid of making those connections, either with course corrections, like I just demonstrated, or with praise, we're robbing ourselves of that essential emotional connection Perfect. with the ways that we're working with teams. Perfect. Bill, sadly, we are out of time on that one. I know we could keep talking about this one. <laughs> I think what I take away from this conversation is getting more rigorous in our alignment conversations, in our time block allocations, in our planning processes, milestone creation, and in the articulation and check-in of where are we, what happened, and how did it happen, um, just more systematic in that. And that's what I take away from you is what we can gain in doing delegation. So, Bill, thank you. 
Wanda, let me just say that I so appreciate the insightful questions and ways that you've summarized these tasks. And I want to offer to everyone listening some more resources to take it further in your journey of becoming an effective delegator. So the web address to visit is simply growbusinessnow.com forward slash out of the comfort zone. Perfect. Growbusinessnow.com. Put it in the show notes to make it easy for people to access and connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. It's such a pleasure to have been with you today on this interview. Thank you very much, Bill. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. If you'd like to know how to apply these and more, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 